your ear holes get vibrated by them vibratins, and then your brain is like, these vibratins mean this vibratin, and so it's all just vibratins. Okay, Bo, start the podcast. Andrew's doing it. Oh, sorry. Andrew, start the podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Get Dumped On. I don't know what the, that voice was. The Dimpo Dump Podcast. Is that Australian? Why are you trying to be Australian? I don't know. I just thought you said that I had low energy, so I tried to do something, and that just came out. I just, I just thought you sounded no, keep tired. It going. Hey there, Joey's. Welcome to Get Dumped On, the Info Dump Podcast. Podcast for friends get together, drop, drop, drop knowledge on each other. Uh, drop Ash and Zach. <laughs> yeah, they drop their uh, their. Oh God, what what else is Australian? Drop bears. Okay, they do koala all over. I don't. Know. Hey, welcome. <laughs> 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 My name is Andrew. Hello. Uh, again, the podcast for four friends get together one persons but dumps their special interests knowledge on the other three two of the people are very smart two of the other people are quote quote not as smart today's episode is hosted by mr zach but first i would like to introduce ash hello hello and now i'm gonna introduce the uh the old the old bogan uh bow hey it's me bogan bow i'm oh bogan my gosh, here bogan bow. <laughs> that's actually beautiful bogan bow he's, he's in the building and and uh finally the host of today Zach, why don't you let us know, one, how you doing, and two, what are you doing today? All right, mates, I'm going well, and I'm here to give you an info dump. Uh, it's a, no, it's a play idea. have to do, it's a play to do it idea. the whole time. You have to do it the whole time. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You set the precedent, and you fucking follow through. <laughs> do you understand? Hey, I've never followed through on anything in my life, and I'm not <laughs> about to start today. There's today's no way I'm listening you to that. that. <laughs> today's the fucking day just do it do it for me and do it for all the no. millions and the millions, millions of people and millions. Yeah, the millions of listeners tell us uh tell us about this episode hey uh why do i say hey i don't know um fuck then i started saying um you guys know what episode this is <laughs> this right this is the best one this is, this is episode podcast. 32 no this is episode 33 oh well, is it? I, i'm one behind then I'm not paying attention. I missed one, so this is actually my third. This is actually my thirty-second one because I missed one. Remember oh, okay. that when I wasn't there, like the but worst, it's were, true. the uh, worst one that was ever recorded. <laughs> Conveniently, I wasn't there. Yeah, yeah it's weird that that one has the most views and most ratings. But no, it's interesting. that's just Justin's family. <laughs> <laughs> it's just sending it to the extended family. I just made so many emails to just keep up. Yeah, like five okay. stars. We have to start the episode. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, hey! No, hold up, hold up, hold up. Last week, no, like two weeks ago, it took you guys twenty minutes to get all that out of your system. That was all you, you people, forcing me to explain totally normal things that I do. And Andrew harping on somebody—the fact that somebody would eat rice cakes for twenty minutes—you just couldn't get past it. Mm-hmm. No, no, you re-listen yeah. to that episode. And you tell me that I'm the problem. You're the problem, and I'm saying it to you. <laughs> All right, Zach. Okay. Please. All right. So, um, 
so remember what I told you guys is that I kind of reconfigured this at the last minute because I realized that episode 33 had to be a special one. So what do you think that this is going to be about based on the fact that this is about episode 33? Half of Satan. Oh, yeah, six, six, uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, 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 um, no, pass. Okay, what if I said 33 and a third? Pass. Pass. <laughs> okay, this episode's about vinyl records because, because it's a 12-inch LP spins at 33 and a third rotations per minute. I uh, did not know that. I also know nothing about vinyl records. Well, strap in, buddy, because I'm going to tell you <laughs> all about the history of the rec- recording industry up until the end of the vinyl era. Oh! Hey! Whoa! Whoa! whoa. Okay. You say, okay, let's get this thing going, and then you just start making stupid sound effects. <laughs> okay. Dragging, hey, dragging it along. That's what it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, that's, that's vinyl. What the, what, what, hey, uh, what does a vinyl sound like when it's spinning, Zach? Uh, it depends on the record. You pick oh, a song. Give us your best. Any song. Yeah. Pick, yeah. No, yeah, like the sound of the actual vinyl spinning, not what's on it. Uh, what's well, kind of like, like a, a bunch record, of pops no and, needle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like when the needle drops, just go ahead and yeah, do us your best. So you make, you, you you making like? noises. I'm just trying to get you to make noises now. So no, okay. no, this is terrible. We have to. What does the vinyl sound it? like when you drop it on the floor and it does that thing where it spins around? It goes and then finally like gets settled. You know, what does that sound yeah, like? It sounds like whoa, 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 whoa. So it's like a guy who's slowly falling and slipping on something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is a, a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I've been a uh, vinyl record enthusiast, um, an aficionado, if you will, since I was about 14 years old. And I bought my own, my first record at a uh, antique store on Cape Cod. It was a copy of 2112 by Rush and a copy of Chicago 2. Uh, because I was and continue to be a big rush head. Uh, and Chicago 2 had 25 or 6 to 4 on it, which we were playing in pep band when I was in pep band at the time. Nice. So, yeah, Zach is a big record guy. Yeah, big record well, guy. I what's pe- just what's finished. Pe- what's pep band? Pep band, uh, we were the band that would sit, that would play, uh, we would play music during the football games uh, for, <laughs> for high school. Nerd. Go on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty ridiculous. Uh, I was a trumpeter. If you couldn't tell by the everything about me. It's nice that you got to play 25 or 64. That's a, that's a fun one. We had really boring stuff. It's in a Marching really band. good song. It was not fun. Uh, we also played the Hawaii Five O theme, uh, which was pretty fun. Yeah. It was actually kind of funny. I don't because, know that song. Um, can you, can you sing it for me? Yeah. Uh, Okay, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, five oh. Okay, sorry. Does it start with the drum? What did you think he said? Probably. It was a joke. Yeah, probably. Oh, sorry. Does it like. Yeah, I think so. The fun thing is that we. I was getting a bunch of stuff from my parents' house recently. I found my old original Xbox, and you know how they had the custom soundtracks? I had made a CD that had all of the songs that we played during pep band and uploaded them to my Xbox to listen to while playing like project Gotham racing or whatever. And they, I found that playlist and I was listening to all the songs. I was like, Oh yeah, I remember playing this song and that was pretty cool. Isn't, it, isn't that a bit like work though? Uh, not if it's fun. Like, like you're lis- listening to music outside of the music you're supposed to be playing for anything. Like that, that feels like work. Yeah, maybe. So you, so I, I, I just finished, um, I just finished re-alphabetizing and organizing my records after we moved. Um, how, many, how many records and, do you own? Uh, 
uh, I have 588 LPs. What about EPs? And EPs, I did not count. I the my I did not count my seven inches. I have fewer of those. That much fewer. I was not really an EP guy. For um, I'm more of an LP guy kind of guy. But I do have a couple of good ones. <laughs> I don't know if y'all know this, but moving house with 588 records is not fun. It sounds pretty fun. <laughs> I would have done it for you for half the cost. Oh, for how much you guys paid. So do you? So do either of you have any records? Yes, you gave me the right. You gave me a record. <laughs> Wait, did you? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, it was a copy of um, the Social Distortions self-titled album. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yep. Do you do you do you do you listen? Do you do you listen to it? No, because I don't have a record player. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit um, later on. And Andrew, you have some records in your house, don't you? I do. I do have some records. In my house, yes. Most of which were given to me. And there's really only one that I like cherish because I haven't opened it yet. Mm-hmm. What was it? What is it? It is an act one, act two pressing of uh, the Deer Hunters first two albums. That's pretty sick. And I, I got it because my roommate at the time that was hanging out with this guy who just happened to be the guitar tech for the band. And I didn't know this, but the band lived 10 minutes away from me. so. I didn't even know that they lived in the same state because they're originally not from the state. So one day he was uh-huh. like, I'm going to go pick something up at their house. Do you guys want to come with me real quick? And I was like, fucking yeah. And I walked in and I saw the keyboard player and I was like, hey man, just heads up. Like, I love your band. I listen to you, everything. Like, I love you. You're great. And he's like, cool, cool. Here, take this. And it was a like limited pressing of that unopened. And I was like, are you serious? And he's like, it's my last one. You can have it. And I was like, oh, I will never open this. Hell Thank yeah. You. That's great. See, this is one of the things that I really like about record collecting is because not only is it music, but it's also like an object that can be a souvenir of like a place or a time. And, you know, sometimes like when I'm on vacation somewhere, I'll go to a record store and I'll pick up a record of like a local artist just that I, I remember, you know, that trip and it, it serves, you know, a dual purpose. And the art is usually really cool. Yeah. You know, you like know the you've jacket. got the big square foot well, of you've... artwork, which is uh, pretty phenomenal. So what I've done is I've broken this up into a few different tracks. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about how records work. We're going to talk a little bit about the history of music. We're going to talk about some weird records that have been pressed. And if we have time, I'm going to talk about the uh, kind of crazy people that collect records. Um, And some uh, some quick stories. And why their name is Zach. (laughs) And why their name is Zach. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Just a heads up, Zach. um, We also, we... we, all three of us, we met before this in secret, and you're cut off at an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the fact well, that you even suggested that everyone was, ha- that nobody let me time. start at the beginning. Oh, okay. Yeah, my fault. Ugh. Yeah. Don't let them gaslight you, Zach. <laughs> that did not it happen. It was Ash's idea, by you the way. You can talk as long as you want. Ash was like, look, I'm going to deny this, but this is fair. <laughs> this is what's uh, so how, do, how does a record work? That is a great question, and I barely understand it on my. Did you ask yourself the question? Bo, Bo how does the record work? Bo, Bo, how does the record work? Tell us what the record. He was posing the question to all of us. How does the record yeah. work? Okay, yeah, so Bo, what, what you do is Bo, you, Bo's going to let us know how a record works first, so and then Zach yeah. is going to. Yeah, you take this big circle thing. So not most of the time it's black and it has like line ridges in between it, and you drop a needle on it like ruffles. It, exactly, and that's where they got mm-hmm. the idea from ruffles, actually. Is from this. So 
Yeah, makes sense to me. What if it yeah. was smaller and wavier and I could eat it? That's a CD. Exactly. Oh yeah, classic. Yeah, I, I, effectively a record. He's pretty close. Um, a record is essentially magic, as far as I'm concerned, because like a CD is, you know, a CD you can look at it and you're like, how is there music on this? This is bonkers. But at the very least, it's a computer. It's like computer stuff, so you can be like, oh yeah, it's computers. Computers do magic, and a computer makes the sound. That's great. I can wrap my head around that. But records are from before computers. So it's like, what kind of weird arcane nonsense was was pressed into this disc that makes it so that you can drag a stylus through the grooves and music comes out? It's completely insane to me. But essentially what it is, is that the groove is shaped like the waveform of the music. Um, and with modern records, you've got a kind of side to side action and an up and down action. And that allows for a left and right channel to be encoded onto the record. Um, and so the, the wiggle up and down and side to side is essentially telling the, you know, sending vibrations through the stylus, which then get interpreted into music in a process that I'm not even going to begin to attempt to understand because it's bonkers and magic to me. But what I have looked into and do understand is the process of making a record. And I will tell you about that instead. Um, And when you start to think about uh, the way that a record is cut, it makes a little bit more sense. So you know that sound is just vibrations, right? Goes into your head holes and bounces around in there. And you can hear stuff. Yeah, exactly. Sound is just things vibrating through the air. And uh, then you're hear your ear holes get vibrated by them vibratins and then your brain is like these <laughs> vibratins mean this vibratin and so it's all just vibratins and basically um the first step of making a record is to uh cut the master from a lacquer the lacquer is basically this big plate which is uh it's like a big circle i mean it's a little bit bigger than the actual record itself um and it's just this flat smooth um lacquer disc uh, then you have a special machine that basically etches into that lacquer and you uh, basically play the music through it. And then the music vibrates the lacquer, uh, vibrates the the cutter. And so then as it goes through the lacquer, it cuts at that same, it cuts at that vibration. Then when, which then allows you to hear that same sort of pattern when you listen to it yourself. Um, so you start by cutting the grooves into the lacquer, which turns it into the master. Then the master gets sprayed with um, silver and nickel uh, and put into this chemical bath, which uh, electrochemically plates the, the lacquer in kind of like a pretty nasty uh, process. But uh, eventually this kind of coats the master with these metal plates caused by the it basically turns into metal plates. You peel those off of the lacquer and you get stampers. So the stampers are these like metal plates that have the reverse of the grooves on them. Um, then they make a burger out of, um, and they may, they load the stampers into these big presses. Um, and then in the middle of the press, you put a little burger uh, with a patty that's made out of PVC, polyvinyl chloride, and the lab- and the bun are the labels that get that are on the on the record. And then you smash that fucker and you got yourself a record, baby. And that's how records are born. Isn't that crazy? It seems made up somehow. (laughs) 
<laughs> the the process of making the stamper from the master is very confusing to me but effectively they just uh, they just electroplate it with well, I mean, that silver makes sense. and nickel because when we watch I'm not going to lie I'm also very confused right now when yeah. we watch it, it, words you said a lot of words lot basically of words. you take a disc you cut grooves into it you take you, the disc, you put how do you know there, you how do you know the... what grooves to cut like what produces the pattern of grooves to cut well, the you said it was like the, the vibrations in the cutter, yeah. right? Yeah, the cutter basically vibrates with the music. So you play the music into the cutter, which vibrates oh, with the vibe. Dude. It's, it's just it's straight all up vibes, vibes, you know? Yeah. It's all vibes. It's all vibrations. At I the end of the day, it's all now. vibrations. I got it. Mm-hmm. And then when we, watch old t- when we watch old Tinkerer and he restores metal stuff, he does the like electromagnetic plating bath where he puts the, yeah, the nodes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah, it's pretty much that same process. And that's how you create the stampers. So you've got something that looks like a record. Then you've got two stamps, one of which is side A and one of which is side B. And they look like the inverse of a record. So instead of grooves going into it, it's ridges going out. And then yeah, yeah. those stamp uh, a little burger of vinyl um, to then create a record with grooves going in. Okay, quick 10 second version for a toddler. Go. Uh, you cut, you cut nine wiggles into, you cut wiggles into a disc and then you make a thing that has ridges instead of wiggles. And then you use those ridges to stamp a burger into something with ridges, with wiggles, one with the wiggles. It's all wiggles. It's all the wiggles. And that's how the wiggles are formed. It's the most famous band of of Australia. Speaking of Australia. Yeah. Speaking of Australia. Okay. Hey, Bo, when was the earliest recorded sound? Oh man. Back in fucking my day about 1502. I'm sorry, was that a prospector voice, sir? (laughs) Only one person is allowed to do the pod the fucking the the podcaster? Shit. I just stroked out. I was at work for eleven hours today, okay? I'm EPCP. Uh, Hey, I'm the old podcaster here. (laughs) Oh god. So you're saying fifteen oh two, Bo? Andrew, what do you think? That's what I said. If I had to guess, it would be wrong. But what do you think? That's give me my a year. guess. <laughs> give me a decade. N- uh, eight, nine, uh, uh, four, uh, 16. Wow. Uh, the eight, the 18, the early 1800s, maybe. Yeah. The early 1800s. Yeah. All right. So it was, um, 1857. Ah, I was going to uh, say mid 1800s, but you know, it's fine. Yeah. A guy named Edward Leon well, Ash Scott. Ash was the closest yeah. like, to not going over, so Price Right rules. Ash wins. You win. I'll give you a kiss later. Oh, yay. Oh, damn it. Lucky he fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a fellow named Edward Leon Scott de Martinville invented uh, something that he calls the phonoautograph, uh, which was entirely useless. Is that a phonograph? No, it's the phonoautograph. And there's a very good reason. It's worse. Oh, phonoautograph. Phonoautograph. <laughs> and there's a very good reason why you have <laughs> There's a very good reason why you haven't heard of the phonoautograph before. And that's because it was useless. Um so it recorded sound with a bristle onto a lamp black coated cylinder. And there was no way to play it back. And you were meant to read it to figure out what it was. But it was the same thing where it just was recording vibrations and nobody could ever figure out how to read it. And nobody ever used it, and it was a piece of garbage. He was like, hey, hey it's, oh, I did it. It's on there. Yeah. 
that's so, that's what are you kidding? That's like there's something in my pocket right now, but you can't find out what it is. And but I'm it's not going to tell you. Yeah. Are you so kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> What's in your pocket? So, scratch that. Forget about the the phonograph. The, but the the real first okay, well, audio I recording. Would, I was going to say, so, I don't I don't count that. What, yeah. what, what's the real but one? But it's it's a funny little story about a stupid thing that somebody invented. The first one was actually twenty years later, um, when in eighteen seventy seven, when Mister a good a good sir, and by good sir I mean real piece of shit, uh, Mister Thomas <laughs> Jerkoff Edison, uh, invented oh. a way to impress sound waves into a tin foil lined cylinder, uh, which became the. And then who did he steal cylinder. that from? Uh, well, he came up with it on his own, um, but then completely abandoned that. it because he didn't like it and moved on to work on other stuff and left um, and left people from his company to uh, develop the technology further and then took all the credit for it. Um, one of these people was Alexander Graham Bell. Big, big sound guy, Alexander Graham Bell. Uh, wait, the guy who invented Taco Bell? No, the guy who invented the telephone. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I was expecting which somebody... I now use to order Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was expecting somebody to recognize the name. I'm sorry, I expected too much. I knew the name. We, we, we all knew the name Alexander Bell. <laughs> not... Joe, God, oh God. I'm not that dumb. Big sound guy. You talk through a phone. Oh Electricity's involved. It makes sense. It makes you sense. Gave yeah. Us, yeah. You gave us like no credit. You, wanted, yeah. you took the theme song so serious. <laughs> well, nobody reacted when I said his name, so I just thought. I was giving you a second. If we didn't I'm know sorry. Alexander, if we didn't know who he was, we'd go, "Who's Alexander Bell? Who the Zach, fuck is this jabroni? I I hate this guy because I don't know who he is." Yeah, fuck he Alexander. He sounds like Graham a real Bell. piece of work. Well, he and a couple of other scientists improved the um, improved it by having it inscribe the vibrations into wax instead of just impressing it into tin foil. Um, which made it actually like usable with some vague sense of fidelity. Hold but up. there's a lot of surface noise. These would rotate Hold at up. a what? Hold up. Hold up. Okay. Hold up. Okay. Imprinting things into things to read them. Just like A and Asier's tablet. Yes. So the first record was a complaint tablet. <laughs> <laughs> actually, so I would A&S love to know here. what the first what the first recorded uh, what the first recorded complaint audio would would be? That's I would a, love that. Honestly, the, mm. it it could have been on one of these. Um, so I, they effectively they wore out uh, after like thirty plays, but then you could smooth out the wax at home and oh reuse my God, it. Limited pressing, and so a lot of people would buy a cylinder, play it until it wore <laughs> out, and then smooth like out the wax. And re-record re, re it with, like, whatever. So it could very well be that somebody bought a cylinder, <laughs> wore it out, re-recorded it to call somebody a bitch, you know? Yeah, like, they're like there's no evidence. It's essentially <laughs> audio Snapchat, you know? Like, yeah. it only lasts for so long and then is gone forever. Unless the FBI needs to get a hold of it, but that's a different story. Yeah. So the, the <laughs> advantage of these was that you could home record on them, but they, they spun at 120 RPM, uh, and... Um, that could hold fast. about it's very fast and could say, hold that, about three minutes scary. hold about three minutes on oh, one wow. cylinder and the thing about them is that each one had to be recorded live like from a source so eventually they um they developed a system that could inscribe like 20 30 40 cylinders at a time 
But effectively, there was no way to... This was like the recording technology. You couldn't keep a recording and then record it onto these cylinders for distribution. Anytime you wanted to make these cylinders, you'd have to re-record them. You have to do it Which is kind of bonkers when you think about it. Yeah, you got to do it fresh every time. That's, that's wild. Fricky, 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 fresh. Then until the... In the early 1900s, they could be molded, but for like 20 years, they had to be... And even then, there was no like recording um, other than... The, so So... The disc Do we know what they were format. recording? Mostly opera. Uh, opera was the, oh. the big thing at the time. Um, so you have a lot of opera arias and classical music, which was like the main you know, form of recorded music. Um, the disc, however, so this is cylinder, uh, but when you think of a record, you think of a disc, obviously. Um, and these were invented in 1887. And this is the classic gramophone. Uh, which was not invented by Alexander Graham Bell, but rather by a guy named Emil Berliner. Emil Berliner. Um, and so the main advantage that this had over the phonograph is that be, you could press them and they could be mass produced a lot easier. Um, some people preferred the phonograph cylinders at home because of the recording, uh, but ultimately the, uh, the gramophone disc was uh, what won out in the earliest of format wars. Um, they were, they were, the discs were made out of shellac, uh, and they were much noisier and you would use a metal needle to, to play them. People like raucousness. So you also had to record the master by getting a bunch of musicians into the studio and like cutting it live. They would, um, they would basically cart a group of people into, um, the, they would cart a bunch of people into the studio and have them play into like one of those big like horns that you see like on the gramophone um they would like a really big one and then that would vibrate the needle and cut into the master that they would use to press more of these wow well you have to do it perfect every time i I do know this part is that that's how they would record that they would Mm -hmm. get everybody inside a tiny studio and just play and hope for the best and this is why a lot of popular music at the time was very heavy in brass because brass was the loudest and reproduced better than quieter and lighter instruments that's the Which entire reason wild. why the saxophone exists. Pretty much. We watched a whole puppet history about it. And we went to the museum and saw all of pu- the instruments that pu- he invented. Pu- puppet, yeah. history? puppet history? So it was just puppets telling the story of it? It's a YouTube it, show called Puppet than... History on Watcher. Are, it's they, very good. are, they, yeah. are they puppets? It's one puppet. He hosts it. Mm-hmm. Oh, carry on. <laughs> and then there's a song at the Although end. Although there's more puppets now. Yeah. So the like I said, the gramophone discs—they were made and of shellac. They were ten inches. Yeah, Sorry. and they played at seventy-eight RPM. So hey, why seventy-eight RPM was the first RPM for these? This is uh, uh, pick a pick the correct one. Is it one? It's uh, it is a factor of how motors worked at the time. Two, it would make the disc hold the exact length of Emil Berliner's favorite song. Or C, it would create a strobing effect with the grooves that people liked to watch while they listened to their records. I do like a good strobe. Mm-hmm. Oh, you said strobe. I thought you said stroke. I also do like <laughs> a good strobing. <laughs> My, uh, I'm torn between A and B. I'm going to go with A. I'm going to go with motors. Yes, so this was essentially a factor of how motors worked at the time, which is okay, the yeah. most oh. boring answer, I'll agree, but... <laughs> with the way that the motors worked it was pretty much one speed you'd crank it and then it would go back and um 78 rpm was just how fast that they ended up going um 
and it ended up being standardized even as motor technology improved. Um, the second one, though, the disc length, the exact length of Berliner's favorite song, that is a, a one that I took from the reason why CDs hold 78, in, uh, 78 minutes of music is because uh, when they were being developed, it was uh, it was made sure that they could hold um, Beethoven's fifth or ninth symphony. I don't remember which, but oh, which see. was usually 78 minutes long. So fun fact. That is a, That's fun... a long ass symphony. Yeah, right. That's the thing I hadn't considered about record players is like that you had, uh, I mean, I guess like it makes sense, but like when it was first starting, if you had a motor that was like a little more powerful, then your song would be like too fast. And this is why um, it's the same problem with early movies when these things were kind of cranked, like hand cranked before mm. electric motors were um, so much of a thing. Uh, is that a lot of the times you'd have to worry about um, the speed not being entirely standardized. Um, but thankfully, that has been fixed. Um, so 78s, these 10-inch uh, 78s, they held about three to five minutes aside. Um, and so to get to sell more than one song at a time, they would sell them in books. And you'd basically have a book with these like brown paper sleeves in it. Um, and you'd have you know five or six 78s in it. Uh, and this is where the term album comes from. Oh my gosh, that's fun! So because you're that's basically buying an album of discs. Yeah, isn't yeah. that cool? It's like a like a photo album but for your music. Exactly, I love it. So these gramophone discs were super duper popular, and um, a lot of them sold over a million copies. Um, the first to do so was an aria. So we're going, so it was opera. It was an aria from uh, Pagliacci called Vesti Vesti la Giuba. Uh, is it is it the sad clown yeah that's the sad Pagliacci. Pagliacci. there's a g yeah. in it i don't i'm not italian i don't know uh it, it was a recording performed by a guy named enrico caruso in 1902 and fun fact the master wore out um because they were pressing so many copies of it and he had to go back and re-record it twice uh so twice. That they could cut new masters because they were selling so many of the discs. Wow. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, because they, did, they didn't have like a backup for the master. Magnetic tape didn't exist yet, so they didn't have like master tapes that they could use to make a new vinyl master. So every time they'd have to re-record it live. And I think that's kind of crazy. So like you, no. could pr you could press like, you know, I don't know, 300,000 discs from one master, but eventually it would wear out and then you wouldn't have a way to make a new one. You'd have to get him in to re-record a new one. How, I wonder how much time it was between recordings. I think it was 1902, 1905, and 1907. Wow. <laughs> um, so advancements in electric recording technology and chemistry and all kinds of technology in the early 20th century led to big advancements in recording technology. And so with the advent of electricity became the advent of electric microphones. And this meant that you could start singing softly instead of belting your fucking voice all the time. Or playing which led your to... tuba directly into the. Exactly. And so this led to the like the, the advent of like crooners um, in the, the late twenties and the thirties. Um, you had people who could actually like sing with nuance. <laughs> And are you saying this that, was... that opera doesn't have nuance? Wow. Well, okay, wow. more dynamic range. Wow. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah, we just lost uh, all of our opera listeners. <laughs> 
And this kind of advancement in electric microphones is what also led to the popularity of the guitar as a lead instrument. Because Love a guitar. You could actually hear guitars over every other instrument now. <laughs> then um, the, the development of talky motion pictures led to the advent of being able to put sound on film, uh, which is what made it so that people could blend together pre-recorded tracks, which was kind of like the earliest form of multi-tracking um, in recording. And this was in the early 30s. Then in 1931, the first 12-inch record was released by RCA Victor. Um, and, but the problem with, the, with it was that uh, 1931 was kind of the beginning of the Great Depression. Um, so nobody really bought any of them. Mm-hmm. And um, nobody was going to buy like new equipment to listen to music with in the middle of the Great Depression. And so it didn't really go anywhere. It fizzled out very quickly. Um, and they, they were made out of a special compound called Vitrol, Victrolac, uh, which was RCA Victor's proprietary vinyl-based compound that they never released the actual formula for, which is kind of fun. <laughs> and the first I recording like that they was I that he was doing a portmanteau in the 30s. Yeah. Uh, and it was uh, Beethoven's Fifth performed by the Philadelphia Orchestra under Leopold Stokowski. Um, and it was noted that the vinyl based compound was a great improvement over shellac um, in terms of surface noise, um, but it still never really caught on. Um, Columbia Records started again at the process of doing a 12 inch record in 1939, um, but then we got into World War II and they suspended it until after. Wow, what? Oh gosh, every time I'm reminded about that time, <laughs> it's just like, oh God, it was just so sad for so long. Yeah. It. It delayed so the advancement though, of, Sorry, yeah, go ahead. It delayed the advancement of vinyl records by six years. <laughs> what were you going to say? Oh, gosh. So, but World War II is usually the catalyst for things of why they're popular after. Kind yeah. of like how you're talking about the, the chocolate chip cookie being like, it's now America's cookie after World War II because that was how the troops were reminded of home. Mm-hmm. So, did this also help the vinyl industry in some way? Yeah, so one at of the, the end of it. <laughs> um, so not only not only was it helped because the end of the war meant that you know they could go back to focusing on frivolities again, but also um, magnetic tape uh, used for recording uh, music was developed in Germany right before the Nazis took power, and so they didn't share it with the with the rest of the world. After World War II was over, the rest of the world got access to magnetic tape recording technology. Wow. Which became, which was really helpful for, you know, keeping archival recordings of things that you then you could then use to press more records so that you wouldn't have to keep bringing the opera singer into the studio <laughs> to, uh, to keep recording new songs. Yeah. Um, so the first. And like, uh, the, the Andrew sisters, you know, make yeah, records for exactly. the Andrew sisters. You and your sister made records? <laughs> My sisters made records. I didn't. Oh, uh, that's all. I'm I, I yeah, going to say sister singular, but I said sisters. I, I messed up. The yeah. irony being that you're the only one out of the three of you who's released an album. <laughs> I'm cool. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a vinyl, though, so... I, mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. So it's worthless, is what you're saying? <laughs> Fucking worthless. God damn it. <laughs> I'm a failed musician. Uh, so Columbia ended up releasing the first 12-inch LPs. 
1948. And so this is kind of the, the beginning of an unbroken string of people using this polyvinyl chloride to press microgroove LPs. Uh, this is they they dropped 85 12 inch classical LPs alongside um, 48 vinyl uh, 10 inch uh, 10 inchers, um, and so the first one to be released was Mendelssohn's Concerto in E Minor by Nathan Milstein on the violin with the New York Philharmonic, conducted by Bruno Walter. Uh, these discs were really thick by modern standards. Um, they were 220 grams. Yeah, they were. And um, these days the premium size is 180 grams so like when people are talking about like oh yeah it's audiophile vinyl it's pressed on 180 grams i think the usual is 150 or 160 grams um and so these ones were pretty big um but it's fine and thus begins the micro groove era uh where you could fit 20 minutes of music on a side of of a record um now rca uh, rca victor they were pissed because they you know, they did this first, but they had to stop because of the Great Depression or whatever. Um, and so out of spite, <laughs> instead of adopting the Columbia LP format for their new releases moving forward, they developed the 45 RPM 7-inch record, which was made of PVC and sometimes polystyrene and sometimes acetate. And so these were released in late 1948. Uh, oh, no, these were first recorded in late 1948. Uh, the first one recorded was a children's song called Pee Wee the Piccolo. What? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know the song? Can you give me a little sample? No, I didn't. I didn't look it up. Uh, and Could for you, that, if, I apologize. If you, ha- if you had to guess how the song went, how would you think it would go? I'm Pee Wee the Piccolo. Pee Wee the Piccolo. So Pee Wee is the Piccolo. Pee Wee the Piccolo. Yeah, because piccolos are small. So that's Aren't why his name copying... would be Pee Wee. Yeah. Aren't you just copying what what beat is that? I know that beat. Da, 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 that's what you're copying. You're copying that fucking oh my god, what's it called? Hey, 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 hey. According to every music copyright thing in the world, you 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 beats and and chord progressions can no longer be copyrighted. So Zach can do whatever he wants. Yeah, I did I, it was transformative parody, and therefore it's within Creative Commons. Yeah, uh, Bo. Uh, oh, get okay, it with okay, your okay, lawyer I almost I had a great podcast, guys. I gotta leave. No, you stay here. Stay here. I really want to know: Is Pee Wee is the Piccolo in this scenario? I really, I'm, I'm kind of hung yeah, on that Pee-wee's right now. The Piccolo. I'm, I, is the Piccolo. Pee Wee's got to be the Piccolo. I can't. I can't imagine a scenario in which Pee Wee is not the name of this Piccolo. Yeah, Pee Wee the Piccolo. He plays you those little Piccolo songs. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, no, no. But is Pee Wee playing himself? I think the sound probably just comes out of it because it's like he's like, or someone plays him. Maybe. Ew, you guys are talking about Pee Wee playing with himself. Is coming out of himself. <laughs> you guys are gross. No, you're the one who's making it gross. You. The song, the song ends, but there's a crescendo. There's just all loads. <laughs> I love my favorite song. That's my alarm clock. I don't. How is? What does that sound like? Okay. Can we move on? No. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to move on, you just have to keep talking. How would that wake you up? So the first like, to well, actually how, be released was a track called uh, oh, in oh, pretty March of 1949. <laughs> <laughs> the first release was in 1949 in March. Uh, it was a song called Texarkana Baby by Cottonseed Clark and Fred Rose, performed by Eddie Arnold. And it sounds exactly like what you'd expect it to sound like. Andrew, you know, give me, you what, know, what do you, th- you know, all th- cotton seeds <laughs> said a lot of racist things. 
He just sounds like a racist oh, guy. No. Yeah, why don't you why don't you give me a few bars of Texarkana baby? Not Bo. But what does it sound like? <laughs> <laughs> um I'm putting my babies in care. I got nothing. Jesus. Did you say I'm putting my babies again? Yeah, no, in cans. cans? Yeah. That's how I interpreted the name. (laughs) Did you hear hear Texarkana and think in a can? Arcana. Arcana. Put put the babies in Arcana. Arcana baby. I put my baby in a can. He didn't survive very long. <laughs> there we go. You got it. There's no oxygen in there, and I don't have a can opener. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <sighs> well, you're not far off. Anyway, uh, oh, I also I live it. in Texas. <laughs> yeah. So with Columbia pressing Zach 12 now knows what piece. it's like for Ash to be the host because when we go on these tangents, Zach is usually with us. But now like, Zach is a Jason. Well, now if and I go so long, it, you can't yell at me for going long because you <laughs> you're not letting you me get back on time track. management, baby. <laughs> time you, are, you, are run, you are running out of time, sir. So so with RCA Victor releasing these 45 seven 45 RPM seven inches and Columbia uh, releasing LPs, there was a battle of the formats, right? But before not too long, the kind of standard that we know today emerged with LPs containing longer collections of songs and seven inches being EPs uh, for singles. They're so EP. They're so EP. Uh, Long play versus extended play. Um, And basically what happened is that LPs were more expensive. And so they were used uh, for longer genres like classical opera, Broadway music. And this was seen as music for adults, and they carried a much bigger price tag. They were $5, which in today's money is $60. Then 45s were cheaper to make and cheaper to sell. They were 65 cents, which is $7. And so they were easy for kids to buy with their pocket money, and they could carry them around, and the labels could distribute them to radio stations more, uh, more quickly. And they sold lots and lots and lots of these singles. And so um, then in the in the 50s, once rock and roll started to get really popular, rock and roll was really like a singles genre. And uh, 45s just exploded and you had teens buying 45s left and right. Guns? Back to back to vinyl LPs, though. What was the first vinyl LP to sell a million copies? Ransom Comes Alive. No, that was like that's like 20 years from now. Uh, I just know that like people that's like whenever I remember people talking about that back in the day like everyone had that album for some reason it was just a I used to have like a copy of it too I sold it see Beethoven's um, fifth sympathy or fourth or seven somewhere <laughs> between four and seven I have, I'm having options was it a Elvis Presley's debut self-titled LP was it B Calypso by Harry Belafonte or was it C songs for swinging lovers by Frank Sinatra I did, say, I did say Frank earlier. Go on, Frank. Show so, me uh, Frank. Elvis was before Frank. Same time. Same right? time. No, same time. I'm going Elvis. Elvis going, was like huge. I'm going Frank. I'm that going with voice. B because I haven't really heard of it, so it's probably that one. That's true. It's usually <laughs> the one. That... It was B. It was Calypso by Harry Belafonte. Oh. <laughs> Uh, Frank started before Elvis by like a pretty wide 
Like he, yeah, Frank started in the forties or so, but they were contemporaneous for a while. Uh, Elvis's first album was released in 1956. I'm pretty sure. 56, I think. Um, released in 46. Yeah. Now, songs for swing and lovers came out in the, was an LP, um, released in 55, I think. Um, but Calypso was released in 56. So these are all, kind of, uh, and this is the, the album that has Deo, the banana boat song on it. Oh, wow. What's what? staying yeah. power? Yeah. You don't know that, Andrew? Daylight Day-o. come and me one go. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know I've, I've, honestly, I've never like, I didn't oh, know that that was I, a, one a real song and two had a name. I yeah. just got dumped on. I just got dumped on. <laughs> That's what Everything I else, did, baby. Everything That's else what I knew. I'm doing. Everything else I knew before. You're just reteaching. And so that LP was the first LP to sell a million copies, uh, which is kind of wild. Um, it was not the first album to sell a million copies uh, because, I mean, there were 78 albums. So this is the first vinyl LP. I believe the first uh, 78 album was Bing Crosby's White Christmas uh, in the 40s to, to sell a million copies. Like, as I mean, an album. let's be real. That, that was a fucking banger. Yeah. Classic. To talk about Bing Crosby. Power. Yeah, yeah. Give, sing it for me for a second. Hey, real quick, let's just give it up for Bing Crosby. You know, <laughs> oh God, give, give it up. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> so vinyl records were established as a thing, but there was still a lot of development to be done, and uh, people experimented with the format for a while. Um, uh, at the originally, all of these were mono recordings, right? There was just one channel of sound, and it wasn't until 1957 that stereo records were developed. And you need a special setup, a special needle to play stereo records. But everyone was like, oh, well, I have two ears. So, of course, I want two speakers. Uh, and so this <laughs> yeah. took over pretty quickly. And Why um, use one ear when two ear better? Exactly. And so most um, labels discontinued their mono records by the end of the, by the like, mid-60s. Oh, swift. In the 70s, quadraphonic records became a thing. Uh, but oh. those required even more equipment. Um, and quadraphonic records ears? are insane. I was, I was reading. I only in, have two. Yeah. Right. You would, <laughs> so it would be four speakers. And the way that it worked was that the, the grooves contained, um, the standard move to side to side and up to down for left and right. But there's not another way that you can have it move right for the two more channels. And so what they did was that the left and right channel had high frequencies that your ear couldn't hear encoded into the grooves. Then you'd put the signal through a special decoder that would take those high frequencies and turn them into the back left and back right speaker channels. Is that fucking nuts? um, No. What? (laughs) My brain. My brain. So like it would, they would, if you, you could listen to quadraphonic records on stereo equipment because the quadraphonic channels were um, out of your range of hearing. Um, and then it took special equipment to turn those to to capture those signals, tune them down to a level that you could actually hear and make them on parity with the, the, the front two channels. And then you would get a surround sound record. Uh, wow. So is it like what like what, could dogs listen to it without the special equipment? That's a great question. You know, I heard there's a rumor that one of the Beatles albums contains. Um, uh, spe- specifically contains. Um, some like dog whistle like super high-pitched sound that only dogs can hear um but i don't know if that's real but maybe um so when stereo records became a thing uh there's 
there was like a, a bit of like a, a, a teething period where stereo records kind of sucked. Uh, I have a copy of um, I have a, a copy of Elvis's second album, which was stereo. And this was an album that was recorded in mono and then post in like they in post, they separated it into stereo, but it's awful. And like the say, left sound channel sounds like he's, yeah, it sounds like the left and right channels are fighting with each other. It's horrible. <laughs> oh, speaking of horrible, Bo, could you sing the song from Elvis's, the, the hit song, you know, the number one song from Elvis's second album, please? I know everyone knows it. Hey, wait, nothing but hound. Oh, my God. Why are you, you singing in such a low register today for everything? <laughs> I'm working out, working out the throat muscles. Okay. 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 That was great. Yeah, yeah. I said, speaking of horrible, I, I retract that statement. That was fantastic. <laughs> so, moving on. Um, the first... So, at this point in time, um, most records that were released, most LPs, were pretty much just a collection of singles. And artists weren't really playing around with the format and not like in popular music. They weren't taking advantage of, you know, a 20 minute per side, 40 to 45 minute album. It was mostly just like, hey, here's all of my singles. Um, there was a couple of experimentations with it in the 50s. And um, largely Frank Sinatra's album, The Wee Small Hours of the Morning, is credited as being the first like concept album where all of the songs are about, you know, stuff that you do late at night when you're Frank Sinatra. Well, wouldn't you say like, isn't that kind of what albums are like now though, where if it's not a concept album, it's just a random bunch of singles that they hope hit. Exactly. So this, this kind of started the concept of this kind of like started the concept of like the album as an album. But then it was in um, the the sixties when the Beatles released Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. That was the first like super hyper popular concept album that people recognized as a concept album. And that really um, kind of overhauled the entire recording industry's conception of the like vinyl LP as an album. And that kind of starts what like people like music historians refer to as the album era. Mm, they're just like, we got, we got to do this now. Yeah. I, I posted a meme about this the other day and it was like Sergeant Pepper's like, it's, yeah, it's considered like one of the best concept albums, but the whole concept of the album is that we are a band and we sing songs. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. But they're makes a different sense. band. Oh yeah. Cause they're British. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, they're from Liverpool. I know, I know that we are a band, but this is a, a different band. <laughs> they're just cosplaying as a band. Uh, so as you know, th- this happened and then, um, techniques for cutting records developed. Um, so you had things that would, you know, you, you had more master, you had better mastering techniques where the sound boards could have like more tapes at a time. Um, and then you had the introduction of new instruments over time. Um, and, uh, other like specialist labels would start doing half speed mastering where when they were cutting the master, they would rotate it at half the speed and play the play the master track at half the speed um so but then when you played it back normally it would play at normal speed but the process of half mastering it would give greater fidelity to the the music mm. which is fun that's and fun. so the music industry was going up and up and up and up and in 1973 280 million lps were sold which is cool that's um, a lot vinyl Starting the bad times kind of started um, towards the late 70s. Um, vinyl LPs had, there's there always some kind of competition. Uh, this is not disco dying, but this is disco becoming popular. Um, so uh, 
LP sales started to decline in the late 70s because um, disco was a resurgence of the single-based genre. So people weren't buying disco LPs, they were buying disco singles. And disco was like the big fucking thing for a bunch of years. And people stopped buying LPs and started spending all their money on disco singles. Disco um, killed disco the and, LP star? Yeah, so disco that's kind of, Honestly, that's sort of what's happening now. But I mean, people are yeah. buying things anymore because obviously, like streaming changed everything. But at least when mm-hmm. it comes to the music being released, people you're seeing a lot more singles nowadays than yeah. you know, entire albums. Yeah, album releases just aren't where it's at. For like, there are a handful of artists that still, you know, when they put out an album, it's an event. But um, a lot of stuff is mostly just put out in singles. I say, as I am currently writing an album right now. <laughs> oh, I mean, I people still like albums. There's still people like me. I primarily listen to music in album form. I like albums and I mean, there's, you know, most rock bands still do albums, but in pop music, there's, you know, except for it's the all occasional, about single baby. Yeah. It's all it's about all the single, about the single except, except for Beyonce, if you can, except you, for Beyonce yeah. and Taylor Swift. If you sell, yeah. yeah, that's a whole different story. Like, the difference between someone releasing a good song and God, <laughs> essentially they are God. Yeah. LP competition uh, had been around for pretty much the whole time. Um, the but the the first big competitor was eight track tapes which were introduced in the mid 60s and these had the advantage of you could play them all the way through without flipping um but lp still had greater fidelity um then cassette tapes started becoming popular in the late 70s um early 80s uh but the introduction of the walkman uh in 1979 uh, led to cassettes taking up a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger portion of music sales. Cause now you could, you know, you could take your favorite albums on the road with you, baby. I got my Walkman and my cassette tapes. Were you allowed to run with a, with a Walkman? Yeah. No, so the police were always looking at you. They're like, okay, that's a <laughs> Walkman. Stop it. Oh, no. Slow down. He's getting faster. Sir, stop. Please walk, please walk at a normal pace. Sir, sir, sir. <laughs> So CDs and then CDs um, really started taking off in 1984. Um, and again, this was Sony's fault. They released the Discman in 1984. Classic. Uh, and so from there, you just see decline in vinyl sales. The vinyl sales become a smaller and smaller piece of the pie uh, when it comes to music industry revenue. And by the 90s, vinyl runs for new albums were really small. Um, and so major labels mostly abandoned vinyl. Um, but indie and enthusiast labels kept the industry limping along until the like modern day resurgence started in the mid 2000s. And this is why if there's ever an album that you want, like an original pressing of from the 90s, if you can even find one, they're usually super expensive because they had very small runs. But like a lot of um, independent labels like Estrus were releasing um, stuff on vinyl and a lot of the underground DJs um, kept releasing their music on vinyl as well because DJs were still, you know, just doing vinyl um, for their shows. But like, so what caused the resurgence in the 2000s? It was uh, largely nostalgia. You, you can't really put one like thing on it, but it was it's the like 30 year cycle you know people are looking back at the That's 70s true. so true and they're like oh look at this cool thing um then it was i can also see it as kind of being like a retaliation against like the musical music being digital era um people wanting to be able to own their music in the most physical possible format you know well also with vinyl you know the sound quality people will argue that that is like the best sound quality you can get mm-hmm. 
it it's vinyl is an interesting one because I feel like the floor is very low and the ceiling is very high. You can have a lot of variation. It's a in, terrible house. From, from, yeah, a lot of variation from record to record in what the sound quality of it is. But like a well-pressed, well-engineered record that you keep clean can sound amazing compared to digital audio, especially when you're dealing with lossy, like lossy audio. Like if you're giving me 128 kV per second MP3 and you're telling me that it sounds good, I'm going to fucking kick you out of my house. <laughs> Just a heads up. That's what we uh, render this episode. <laughs> 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 but that's fine because it's just people talking. It's not music except for the intro song. So I was pretty enthusiastic. I mean, I was enthusiastic about the vinyl resurgence. Um, I started rec- I started collecting records a little before, like the real vinyl boom. Um, but oh, you, did, was, exactly. you did say on this podcast, you, cool. you, were, you were a snob. You did say this in the podcast and in yeah. real life. That yeah, you, I was a snob. You, you were. I'll admit it. Um, and I bought a lot of records when I was in high school at the local antique store. Um, and then it was when I, you know, went to college or like got jobs that I could like actually spend money on new records. But I don't think that I bought my first new record until probably like t- 2011 or 2012. Um, I don't remember what it was, sadly. But um, my peak was probably, I was like the most all in in like 2013. And ba- back at that time, if you'd asked me if the vinyl like industry was still going to be going strong in 10 years, I would have, I, I would have thought that the bubble would have burst by now, but the vinyl industry is still going very strong, um, which I love. I'll still buy, I'll buy, you know, some of my new favorite albums when they come out, I'll, I'll buy them on vinyl. I've, I bought a record last week. It was great. So as a vinyl snob yourself though, or former vinyl snob, maybe a little snobby still. I mean, I'm, I'm still snobby about stuff too. You know, we, we've yeah. all got our snobby stuff. I, if you come at me with some dog shit tacos, I'm going to be very mad at you. But <laughs> if, um, like that white people shit, you know, um, but <laughs> if you walk into someone's home and they say they're a record enthusiast and you walk in and they have one of those like record players from Walmart that everyone had that one time. That like looks mm-hmm. like it's in a case, like a little An old radio or something. Yeah. Or in the briefcase one, do you, do you judge them without any external speakers? Like, do you judge them? I I keep it to myself, but I do judge them in my head. The problem with those all in ones, the problem with those all in ones is that you can't adjust the weight on the tone arm, and so they're usually I adjust the weight on the tone arm. What, what is that? What well, is that? so the the tone arm is the part that actually contacts the record, right? <laughs> and what you need to make sure is that you balance the tone arm so that it's um, giving you all the, it's like contacting the groove fully, but not so much weight that you're digging into it. And so the, um, these all in ones, they'll usually be set to have a very heavy tone arm. Um, and so they chew up records. They're, they're actively damaging people's records, like more so oh than a properly set Why tone are people arm. talking about this? It's like when it's you get an ear piercing from Claire's, and they use that gun and they just like ram it through your ear hole. And it's like, this is just mm-hmm. bad. This is just bad because it's. And a lot of the times the yeah, tone arms are aligned badly and they'll jump out of the grooves. And then people say that, oh, yeah, just put a penny on top of the uh, on top of the head of it. And it's like, what? that's making it even worse. You're just digging into it more. So follow up question yeah. for you, Zach. You've been to my house and there is one mm-hmm. of those briefcase ones sitting upstairs right now. Yes. It's my but wife's. I'm so you're saying to- you judge my wife. Yeah, but I, I like your wife, so I don't let it bitch. affect my opinion of her. <laughs> <laughs> I keep I'll it to myself. Yeah. How many times she's had that, she has records sitting in a record player and a very cool record case. 
That Ask me how many times so that cool. I've seen that thing turn on. How, how many, many times have you seen that thing turn on? I, I, think, I don't even think it's plugged in. Putting I've, your <laughs> wife on blast right now. We're ha- our five-year anniversary of meeting each other oh. is this weekend. It's and a I've good thing she doesn't listen to this on. podcast, right? She doesn't even know who you guys are. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> she thinks I'm down here working. <laughs> uh, so she's a fucking monster. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, yeah. The big sellers these days are who you'd expect. The biggest selling record last year was Taylor Swift's Midnight's. Um, and a large part of this was also the fact that they put out five color variants of it. And so people were like, there are people who were buying like, Oh, I'm the biggest Swifty. I have to buy all five colors of this record. Well, yeah, I mean, again, she's essentially is, God right now. So is that, yeah. is that, is that what Taylor Swift sounds? Is that what Swifty sound like? That's what Taylor Swift sounds like too. She's I like, do like I'm Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> I do like colored records. They're fun. Yeah, I do like colored records. I'm going to talk about those uh, in a, in a second. Yeah, you're uh, running out of time, to, sir. I just wanted to <laughs> say this is your fault, Bo. How uh, so? Because How so? you kept me from starting at the beginning. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I stop you from talking? Is that yes. classic Zach speed round? Are three, two, one, right go. Now? I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to keep you guys uh, hostage. Um, so last <laughs> year, <laughs> I will leave. I will let you know right now. I will leave. Last year, uh, last year was the first year uh, in 20 or 30 years that um, vinyl sales surpassed CD sales. Which is, I think, less well, yeah, of a... yeah, because who uses CDs anymore? Yeah, I think this it's less true. of a thing about... Uh, it's less of a, like, wow, CDs are selling... It's more of a, wow, CDs sales have fallen so much. My, my um, son, my son essentially, saw, it's like a VCR now. My son yeah. saw the eject button on my home, my screen on my truck, and he's like, what is that for? I'm like, well, <laughs> let me tell you of a simpler time. <laughs> Dude, there's, I don't I even have a CD, CD player in my car, and I didn't car. even realize it until like a year into owning my car, when someone gave me a CD of their band, and they're like, listen to this. And I was like, I literally don't have a way to listen to this right now. I still I burn CDs I even, for my I car. Plug, I couldn't even plug it into my computer. I don't have a CD drive on my computer. Yeah, I don't have a CD drive on my computer. I don't have a CD drive on my computer. I can't tell. There's not a CD drive in this house. And I was so like, I still haven't listened to my friend's music. and I feel terrible. <laughs> Get it on Spotify. Um, <laughs> I, I still have a CD player in my car. And it's it doesn't have a... I, I had to buy an external Bluetooth thing that connects to the aux, the aux input. And now my phone doesn't even have aux anymore. And so if I don't feel like taking my phone out of my pocket, then I'll just listen to CDs. And so I still have a CD drive on my computer so I can burn CDs to bring out to my car. You do? I do. I like huh. listening You're to CDs the in the car. I enjoy it. Yeah. It's good because you can just turn it on and the CD plays. You don't have to like pick a song on your phone. Yeah. I remember you guys, you guys used to send the, uh, the yearly end of the year CD out. Yeah. Can and I, I didn't can, again. Can, I didn't have a way to listen to. It. Can you can you bring that back? I, w- I would like to listen to your. your well, now they do a yeah. now they do a, a playlist. Yeah, transition oh, to no, Spotify yeah. playlist. I don't want that. I want I want a CD. It's easier. I'll send you a it's CD. Definitely easier. Okay, I'll send cool, you a CD. Cool, cool, cool. cool. I'll burn you last cool. year's mix. I'll send it out. I, I appreciate you. Um, so it's just it's just Taylor Swift's <laughs> Midnight's. Just buy that CD. <laughs> <laughs> I think Midnight Midnight's was fine. I've never listened to it. The the there's still like drama these days. Uh, a big problem uh, in the vinyl industry right now is that there's only two there. There were only two surviving places that make the lacquers that are used to create the masters. Um, and one of them was in Japan and the other one was in California. And the one in California had a fire in February of 2020 and hasn't recovered. And so Japan's factory is the only place that makes the lacquers for masters, which still get cut and plated at pressing factories usually and mastering studios. 
but this is just one place that makes all of the lacquers for every record um, sold in the world. Wow, we should get in on that lacquer game. Yeah, right? there, And there's 18 vinyl presses in the United States. Um, in 2021... Wait, what? Yeah, there's 18 that places. That seems like incredibly high. low. Yeah, it, and so it's very easy for them to get clogged up. Um, and if you are trying to buy... They're all bricked up. If you try to buy records from indie bands, they'll usually be delayed. Um, in 2021, Sony ordered 500,000 copies of Adele's album 30, um, and they wanted um, 20 lacquers. Uh, each with four sides because it was a double record um, and they just clogged up the system real bad. Um, and it was like my, the, I ordered uh, the, the bog wizard frog Lord split and it was delayed for like six months uh, because of <laughs> you're like Adele. yelling with them. You're like, why they're like Adele. <laughs> yeah. It's all Adele's fault. And then just the crazy Adele. thing is that they drastically overestimated how much we're going to sell. And then all of these copies of 30 were then clocking up the clearance racks. <laughs> you could buy them for like three <laughs> bucks, but like whatever. So I guess I shouldn't even bother getting into the part about gimmick records um, because we're already so long. Um, well, I mean, yeah, like gimmick records vinyl. are cool. Like they all come in different colors and cool yeah. stuff. And so, uh, but they still work. Like do you records. think colored vinyl is a new or an old phenomenon? Uh, the whole thing like, is the whole you, industry. Is what do you new? mean by new? By new, I mean, like, do you think that it's something that it became popular or like, do you think it's an innovation of the last 20 years or do you think that it is an old thing? I mean, I've only ever seen it in the last 20 years, but I also wasn't looking before that. Mm. Sure. The end. Yeah. It's an old thing. So polyvinyl uh, is clear. It's transparent. Um, and so to make it black, they add carbon to it. Um, so really, it can be any color that you need it to be for any point in time. Um, and so the why first is the standard that, one black is just because carbon is easy to get. It's because um, the the science behind it says that the carbon um, it 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 uh, it's less conductive. It reduces the conductivity of the vinyl, um, which means that it has less static and it ah, attracts less dust. I see. You can make it whatever color that you want. And RCA's first batch of forty fives were actually color coded. Um, they had green for country music, yellow for kids music, red for classical, orange for R&B and gospel, blue for semi-classical instrumental, whatever the fuck that is, and then blue with a black label for international music. Oh, that's fun. That's kind of fun. Oh. And my oldest, my oldest colored vinyl is a red copy of Hemispheres by Rush, which was pressed in 1978. So that's fun. Um, I like that. Um, a lot of records are pressed that do fun things with grooves, um, and weird stuff with grooves. There was a Monty Python album released in the seventies called matching tie and handkerchief, which had two parallel sets of grooves. Um, and depending on where you put down the needle, um, it would give you a different recording on that side. So like side a had two completely different tracks and it's, wow. you would have to, you like, if you just casually put it down, you'd get a different one each time. Uh, and cool. I think that's kind of fun. Pretty fun. I like that. Yeah. Sometimes uh, they'll press things into records. Um, you can have like a clear record, uh, Third Man Records, which is Jack White's record label, uh, did a reissue of Dope Smoker by Sleep, and they pressed a pot leaf into the record. <laughs> um, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Which is kind you of fun. You can get your ashes pressed into a record after you die. Yeah. What? Yeah, that's the, the in that it would be a black record because of the carbon from the ashes, right? 
Um, there was also well, a band. Do we eventually wear you out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wonder. Hey, Bo, if you were pressed into, if you had your ashes pressed into a record, what song would you have it be? Um, Pee Wee Pickle. Pickle. <laughs> <laughs> There's also one I saw, I can't remember the name of the band, but um, they pressed their piss and pubic hair into the record. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Why? Stop it. Well, no. Kid, didn't Kiss used to do that with blood, too? On their, yeah, on their ki- record? Um, yeah. It wasn't a record. Kiss you mixed their blood into the uh, inks that were used to print their comic book. Oh, well, that I'm doesn't an idiot. seem Sorry. safe. Yeah, it's the same thing. That seems like you could commit crime with that. It was a band called Aeohippus. Like re- it was class. a single called Getting Your Hair Wet with Pee. It was pressed with their, it had their pee in it. Um, I don't like and that. And that's gross. I don't want to end on that. So let me do one last thing. Um, <laughs> which of these is a real, is not a real uh, format of vinyl? A Flexi Disc, a Dynaflex, or a Texaflex? A Texaflex. I was going Texaflex Flex too because it sounds like it's yeah. like fake Texas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Texaflex is the is the is the fake one. Um, okay. Flexi discs are cool. Flexi discs are um, singles that are pressed on very very thin, uh, very very thin plastic, and you can have the grooves pressed into it. And these were usually used as promotional stuff, and you could find them in magazines um, or in cereal boxes. And they are super light, and so you'd have to put a quarter down on them to keep them from, like, actually in place while the groove plays them. They don't sound wow. very good, but they're cool. And I have a couple, and they're So that's great. like when somebody's in the parking lot and they give you their, their CD or their mixtape. They would just, like, put these, these little discs and everything? Yeah, pretty much. Like, if you picked up a copy of, like, Rolling Stone, they could have a promotional um, flexi disc in it to, like, promote a band. Or um, at one point, I think like, you know, some breakfast cereal had like their commercial jingle on a mm. flexi Put disc. Put gospel songs on it and go door to door. Yeah. Then Dynaflex was um, introduced in the 70s during the oil crisis when there was not as much oil um, to go around. And so Dynaflex is a very thin record. It was only like 120 grams. Um, And they said that because it's so thin, it's like better at something. But they actually sounded worse. And they were basically a way of cost cutting and making records with less uh, plastic in them. And they were very flexible. Um, So how do you feel about records being a part of this planet's desire to ruin itself? with um by mining all of its natural resources i'm sad about it (laughs) but i'm also sad about it yeah but also you get to listen to fun music sometimes so like yeah so there's wins and losses there's pros and cons let's just abolish (laughs) vinyl from now on no vinyl is the only plastic allowed from now on no it's time for it to go Goodbye, nope. vinyl. I hate to see you go. Goodbye, <laughs> vinyl. It's time for you to go. So, yeah, I've got a few more things, but I'll stop it there um, just so that you guys don't rebel against me. Um, if anyone wants to learn my last couple of facts, uh, I tell you they're pretty good. Um, send us an email and I'll email you my notes. Uh, and you can learn about what the most valuable record was or. Um, why there's one specific pressing of Led Zeppelin two that's worth much more than all the others. Do not do not ask for the notes. I want 
ask him to email you an audio recording of his last bit. A bonus okay. episode. Bonus material. <laughs> Via Zach, <laughs> Zach Sol- our Patreon, aka Z- our email address. <laughs> <laughs> the Zach After Show, where he hosted too long and ran out of time. I'll do an after show with you, Zach. Oh, thanks. Uh, so what was your favorite part? What was your favorite thing that you learned? My this favorite thing that I learned is that the, is the origin of where albums came from. That it was a little album of all your little records that you could put in a little book that came in a book. Love it. Oh, that's pretty good. My uh, favorite is um, Thomas Edison basically invented this. Good guy, Thomas Edison, I always say. Big <laughs> fan of Edison. Yeah, Edison was I a got- bitch. I got his face tattoo on my chest. That's how much I love Edison. He was ugly, dude. (laughs) So was my chest. But I love him. Hey, two wrongs make a right. You know what I'm saying? Before he goes to bed at night, he just taps his chest. I love you, Eddie. (laughs) Big up for you, Biggie. And uh, Andrew, what was your favorite thing you learned? I liked the whole thing. I learned a lot. I, I, you know, I famously always say what I don't like. I, I don't have anything i didn't like about this episode that was a good one i don't like oh, that thanks. they thought that they were going to sell more adele records than they did and so they messed up everything for everyone in the process yeah i think I adele needs to go we, to jail we are an anti-adele podcast going forward the, the like important adele. thing is that when i did eventually nope. get my copy of frog in the, the bog it was a very good record if anything boycott sony right no nope, yeah adele. boycott sony nope everyone with oh, no, me we just fuck bought a sony adele. tv fuck fuck adele why you guys, you guys aren't chanting with me? Please. Nobody wants to, Bo. Being... Nobody agrees Fuck with you. Adele. Maybe you should stop. Fuck Adele. Oh, look at the crowd's gone mild. Did you? More like the crowd's gone mild. That's what I said. That's what you literally said. just said it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Edit this out. Edit this out. No. Zaggy's not listening. All right. Bye. 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 We didn't do our thing. We didn't do our thing. Hey, thanks what? for listening. You, everybody oh, yeah. up there, everybody, everybody out there in, old, yeah, in the podcast. Yeah, no. trying, I don't uh, have uh, that accent down at no. all. Good. Wow. Uh, get, get the Australian one. Come on. Take it for a second. What's your, what's your, what's your linchpin, right? What's your, what's your anchor? Oh, yeah. The, 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 the stone. What's, oh, my God. My brain. Wow. What the, the hell? The touchstone. That's what I was trying to get. The touchstone. The phrase that you say to get it back in your accent that you can say real good. Shrimp on the bobby. Um, I did it for you. Outback steak. <laughs> Fosters. It's for just right. That's not a knife. That's <laughs> a knife. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Get Dumped Done, an infinite podcast about vinyl and music and everything in between and CDs and Walkman and Bo doing uh deep singing deep singing <laughs> uh if you have a favorite record please um please buy the vinyl. let me know you know yeah. <laughs> if you have a favorite album buy it on vinyl uh tell me what your favorite vinyl record is uh tell me what the most you've spent on a vinyl record is uh, <laughs> and what the album was um because i'd like to know and yes, please. um and make sure you follow us on instagram at get pod or send us an email at Get dumped on podcast at gmail.com. I'll post a picture of the most expensive album I own. The answer may shock you. Oh my God. Until then, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Every Wednesday, Humpty Dumpty coming at you. Goodbye. I'm not actually going to do that. Fashion's hacker, super smart. They went to college and learned a bunch of stuff. And Bo and Andrew didn't go to college because that's just the way life goes sometimes. What happens when you put them together? Try to make them learn.
Info Dump Bye. <laughs>